Pastor Tim is preaching a series uh, titled Friends of Jesus. And last week, I was in the back listening to his message, and I was like, this is it. That's uh, where I'm going to be, you know, make a bridge and talk about it next week. Uh, so he, last week, he said about Nathaniel, we don't know for sure how Nathaniel died, but we do know how he lived. And I thought, I thought that this was a very powerful statement. And he said, as a man of character, authenticity, and devotion. I mean, think about it. That was a very powerful statement about a person. So I want to ask you a question this morning. How do you want to be remembered after you die? It's, it's good to think about your life from that end perspective and start to live your life the way you want to be remembered, in light of the way you want to be remembered. Moses, the man of God, said it this way in Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to remember our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Martin Luther translated this verse into German this way. Lord, teach us to think about death so that we might learn how to live. Very powerful. As we think about our lives from the perspective of death, it helps us to figure it out what we should be doing right now. So, what do you want to be the summation of your life? Or how do you want to be remembered? And I'm going to talk a little bit about another friend of Jesus, a man who taught me and continues to teach me to love Jesus more than anything else in this life. I'm going to talk about the Apostle Paul. And there are five things that I believe Paul would have wanted written in his, in his, in his tombstone. We know that Paul had no real tombstone because he was beheaded by Nero in Rome. And scholars say his body was discarded and almost likely eaten by dogs. But these five things that I want to share with you, I believe is the way he wanted to be remembered. Here Paul is giving a farewell speech to a group of church leaders. He thinks he's never going to see them again. Paul knew he would probably die. And he summarizes his whole life for these church leaders. So let's read together Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came, to, I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe, severe testing by the plots of my Jewish op opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that, I, that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in, the, in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. 
However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to pro proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseas. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each, each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit, you, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remember, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved, me the, grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they went with him to the ship. Let's pray together. It's a privilege for me, Lord, to be here this morning, sharing your word with my brothers and sisters. So I pray, Lord, that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me to transmit your words. Speak clearly to your people this morning. I love you very much, Lord Jesus. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Five statements from Paul's farewell speech. Number one. I have been faithful to do what the Lord Jesus told me to do. Verse 24 says, My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. You can see in this verse that this was Paul's single focus in his life. He wanted to do what the Lord Jesus told him to do. None of the threats... None of the dangers he faced was able to move him from this aim. At the end of the day, that's all that any of us are really responsible for. So my question for you is, what has Jesus called you to do? As a disciple of Jesus, you are not responsible to save the world. You are responsible to fulfill the assignment or assignments 
Jesus has given you. Period. Paul would say this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Moreover, what is required of stewards is that they be found faithful. A steward is just a servant. A servant is not in charge of the whole house. The master is in charge. The steward is responsible to do what the master tells him to do. Faithfulness is the primary concern of stewards. It is what God requires of each of us in all that he has assigned us to do. God can do way more with one act of, of, of faithfulness on our part than we can accomplish in 10,000 years of our own. A good example is also found in the book of Acts, chapter 8. Philip is in Samaria. He is preaching the gospel, and God is using him powerfully. Hundreds of people are being saved in Samaria. And then something unexpected happens. The Spirit of God tells Philip, I want you to leave Samaria, where hundreds of people are being saved. And I want you to be alone on the side of a dusty road that leads to Africa. What? You can imagine Philip asking. I'm having a big impact here, Lord. And you want me to stand on a dusty road with no food traffic at all? And the Holy Spirit says, yes. So Philip obeyed and went there to this deserted road. And suddenly a chariot appears carrying a man whom we refer to as the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip leads him to Christ. And scholars say that this man was possibly the founder of the church in Africa. You see, God can do more with one act of faithfulness on our part than we can accomplish in 10,000 years of our own effort. The question is not, the question is not, where can I have or where can I make the biggest impact? But where does God want me to be? Or what does God want me to do? When you talk about your life, you always put God first. When you make plans for your life, you always put God first. When you want to fulfill God's vision for your life, you always put God first. He's the one that gives the vision. And he's, he's the one that gives you the means to fulfill the vision. Do you want to succeed in life from the biblical perspective? You need to first identify what God has called you to do. And second, be completely faithful to it. Because that's what it is required from stewards, from people like us, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, Paul said, I told the truth. Paul says twice, verse 20, 
and verse 27. Verse 20, he says, I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. And verse 27, he says, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Paul saw himself as a herald of truth, an official messenger bringing news. He was not responsible for the content of the message or whether people would like it or not. He was only responsible for delivering the message. He, he, we don't need to be offensive with the gospel message. The gospel itself has an offensive message for many people. For example, what is the gospel? The gospel, the gospel is going to show that the human race stands underneath the judgment of God because of our rebellion. We are dead in our sin, absolutely helpless, and there's nothing we can do about it. That's pretty offensive for a lot of people. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son, who did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus died in our place. He took our sin upon himself. Jesus also fulfilled God's perfect righteousness. And now, by faith in him, we can receive God's forgiveness. If you humble yourself to admit you are a sinner deserving of judgment and receive his grace as your only hope, you will be saved. You see? That's a very offensive message for, to, for a lot of people in our culture, in our society today. But I'm not responsible for how these people will respond to it. I'm only responsible to make, for making sure they understand the message. Paul said, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. His job was not to persuade them. His job was to be clear with them. And notice one thing in this passage. What characterized Paul's attitude was tears and not anger. Verse 19, he says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears. Verse 31, he says, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Let me ask you, what makes you cry? Do you present the truth with love and tears? Do you pray with tears for your lost friends and family? For your kids? Do they know that? Do they see you? Number three. Paul said, I directed people's attention toward Jesus, not toward me. Verse 19, again, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe trials. 
This is not typically how world leaders describe themselves, right? Usually, we hear from world leaders words like victory, power. But Paul says, I'm a man of humility, trials, and tears. In fact, the word humility in verse 19 was a common word in Greek. And it was almost an insult, meaning low, defeated, weak. But the word is used about 200 times in the Bible. And most of the time, it is considered a virtue. So I ask the question, why does an insult outside of the gospel become a virtue, a virtue inside of it? Because Christian ministry is not about extraordinary men and women, but about a great Savior who can save the weakest, the broken, and the most guilty of sinners. Pastor Tim Keller said, A humble and weak person will show a crucified Savior better, than to, better to a listener than a polished, pulled-together expert. Because that's how it happened for us. We were not saved by pulling ourselves together, but by admitting we were sinners and calling on the one who was pulled apart for us. We want people's attention to be on Jesus, not us. Tears and trials are how God keeps us weak in ourselves so we can be strong in Him. I think about how much different today's religious leaders are presented. Today we say great religious leaders are people of power, triumph, positivity, and happiness. Is it possible? Is it possible that the ones that God sees as great leaders and the ones we see as great leaders are different? You can answer, you can answer the question. What do you think? Number four, I finished strong. Again, verse 24, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Paul was compelled by the Spirit. He was full with the Holy Spirit, like Stephen, like Jesus, like you and me can also be full with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had told him that prison and hardships were ahead of him. And even knowing that all of this could happen to him, Paul still wanted to finish strong the Christian race. Many people start well, but they don't persevere to finish well. Usually what keeps people from finishing up strong is a divided heart. You want, to be you want to complete the assignment that Jesus gave to you, but other things start pulling at your heart. You say, I want to follow Jesus, but I also want to do this. Or, I want to follow Jesus, but I also want to be with him or to be with her. I want to stand with Jesus, but I also want their approval. You get the picture. Those divided loves 
keeps us from finishing strong. And here's a verse that I want to give you to pray this week. Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Paul said, none of these things move me. I want to finish well my Christian race and hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you want to finish strong your Christian race? I know you want. But where do we get the strength to finish it? Not by looking ahead. Not by looking far ahead. But by looking at the next step. One day at a time. Walking daily with Jesus. Surrendering daily to Jesus. Focusing daily on Jesus. And his everlasting promises. That's how you do. That's how you finish your Christian race. Strong. Daily walking with Jesus. Daily looking at Jesus. Daily surrendering your life to Jesus. Number five and last one. I gave more than I took. You see verse 33. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. Verse 35. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, is more blessed to give than to receive. For Paul, different than many preachers today, a blessed life is one in which you give more than you receive. That's what characterizes a blessed life, when you give more than you receive. Why? Because that's what Jesus had said and done. Jesus gave. The Father gave. The Holy Spirit gives. Jesus always gave more than he took. And that's a good question to ask in any relationship you are in. Do you give more than you take? In your marriage, do you serve your spouse more than you expect them to serve you? In your career or your money-making potential, who is it for? Is it about taking all that you can? Or are you asking, how can I leverage my career and my money to give to God's mission? Every job, every job is to be leveraged for the Great Commission. We use our career as a platform to bless others and extend God's mission. And the money we make from it, for us believers, followers of Jesus, we don't work so that at the end of the day we can have more money in our pockets. But so that we can give more. Greater financial capacity should increase our standard of giving, not just our standard of living. How do you see retirement? 
Is retirement a destination where you can finally make it all about you? When Christians talk like that, I think, do you really understand the gospel? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Why did Paul think this way? Why did Paul want to give to others more than he took? You see, because there was one relationship in which Paul would always, always take more than he could give. And this is true for us as well. In our relationship with Jesus, we can never outgive him. Jesus will always be for us. Everything we need. That's why we can give. Because as we give, He will continue to give us more and more. And I'm not talking about stuff, money, not worldly things. He can still do that. What I'm saying is, if you have Jesus... You have everything you need to finish strong the Christian race. At the end of the day, that's what really matters. So, how do you want to be remembered after you die? How about being remembered for these five things? I have been faithful to do what the Lord Jesus told me to do. I told the truth. I directed people's attention toward Jesus, not toward me. I finished strong and I gave more than I took. Can you imagine? One day, I was asked this question. How do you want to be remembered in life? And it was like one quick word, one quick answer. And I said, I want to be remembered as a godly man. I want to be remembered as someone that walked with Jesus. That's what I want for my kids. That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for you. That's how I pray for us. Lord, may we be a people that walk with you. May we be a people with character, devotion. May we be a people that not just, not just say, but live out the gospel in a way that other people We'll, we'll see us Christians joyful Christians because we have Jesus not because we have good cars or good houses or food in our table but because we have Jesus if you want this to be the summation of your life 
then start writing it now. Today is the day. If you need to make any change in your life, today is the day. Today is the day. Today is the day that God can do something incredible in your life. You just need to say yes. You just need to put your whole life before Him. Amen? Let's pray. I want this to be the summation of my life, Lord. Please help me, Lord. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Lord, I pray that you mark this day for many of us, if not for all of us, as the day as something happened that day as we are gathered here Holy Spirit I pray do your work your mighty work for your glory and I pray this in Jesus name Amen, Amen. thank you